Thank you. We are live and ready when you are. Thank you. Um, good afternoon. Welcome to the Wednesday, February 16th, 2022, Ann Land and Bertha Henschel Memorial Funds Commission meeting. The meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Yes, thank you. Members, if you have not yet, please unmute and turn on your video. Commissioner Corbs. Here. Commissioner Smith. Here. Commissioner Yenes. Here. Vice President Zamanudin is absent. President Leary. And oh, my apologize. I apologize. I went over. Secretary McIntosh. Here. Thank you. And here. Vice President Zamanudin is absent. And President Leary. Present. Thank you. We have quorum. All right, um, so this meeting is virtual via Zoom. For members of the public who would uh, wish to join, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Um, once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, you can hit the raise your hand uh, button to provide public comment when um, I confirm the public comment speaking period for your desired item. Um, if you're online, click on raise your hand at the bottom of your screen in the mobile app you can raise your hand by tapping raise your hand option in the more tab. And if you're calling in via telephone to raise your hand, dial star nine, then unmute or mute. Um, oh, then to unmute or mute, dial uh, star six. Speakers will be called on by the last four digits of their phone number if you're calling in via the phone. Um, all speakers will have two minutes to speak once they're called on, and we will uh, now proceed to the agenda. Um, so we're going to start this meeting off with a land acknowledgement and the Pledge of Allegiance. So if you're able, please rise for the opening acknowledgement in honor of Sacramento's indigenous peoples uh, and tribal lands. Um, to the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, the Valley and Plains Miwok, the Putwin Wintun people, and the people of Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federal, federally recognized tribes, May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. And uh, if you'd like to remain standing, we'll now do the Pledge of Allegiance. So I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you all. So our first uh, business item today is the approval of the consent calendar. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you. I have no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment on the consent calendar today. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? All right, I don't see anybody. So uh, is there a motion and a second for the consent calendar? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't get my hand raised quickly oh. enough. Um, I have a 
Oh, wait, no, the consent calendar. I apologize. No, it's the discussion calendar. I have things I want to talk about. I sure. apologize. No problem. So I move to approve the, the calendar. I'll second that. Thank you. We have a motion by Commissioner Yanez and a second by Commissioner Smith. Will the clerk please call the roll for the vote? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Corbs? Yes. Commissioner Smith? Yes. Commissioner Yenis? Yes. Secretary McIntosh? Yes. Vice President Zamanudin is absent. President Leary? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. So we'll now uh, proceed to the discussion calendar. Um, and item number four is the housing strategies presentation. And just um, sort of as background, I, I took a course with Danielle Foster recently, and um, I thought the information that pre she presented in the course would be helpful in us sort of thinking about um, what our annual priorities for funding might be. Um, so I asked Janelle to invite her to speak today. So um, with that, I think Danielle is a, prepared to give a, a little presentation for us. Yes, thanks so much, President, and um, all of the commission. So nice to be here with you. I am the city's housing policy manager, and I was thinking that um, I have a little presentation that I will go through, and it's really to talk about the continuum of housing services and how we respond to um, individuals who might be homeless or at risk of homelessness. And as was mentioned, hopefully this gives you just more context and support as you're preparing for your next grant cycle. So um, I often you'll hear sort of continuum of care and I just wanted to frame it as sort of continuum of housing specifically. So our continuum of care is made up of all of the cities and the county and Sacramento steps forward and the nonprofits, both housing and service nonprofits that respond to homelessness. And um, and I just want to focus in on the housing pieces, although I'm happy to talk about any of the pieces that you all have questions about. Um, but specifically, when we're thinking about housing in our community, you know, these are sort of the steps along the continuum, and I'll go through each of them um, that we like to include and think about and consider when we're planning for the community. So prevention, I always feel like sometimes gets overlooked, but I think it's one of our most important pieces when we're thinking about housing and affordable housing and ensuring that our community is adequately um, cared for. And so this may look like a one-time short-term sort of assistance with unexpected costs. We see a lot of car repairs or medical bills or things that come up that people are not prepared for that kind of send them sideways financially. Um, or lead to job loss or other instability. Um, Short-term rental assistance might be lumped into this category. We're doing a lot of that right now in our COVID response. We've gotten um, over $35 million into the city alone and another 45 million into the county uh, related to state and federal prevention that we're doing. So that's um, a great piece of our response right now. I also wanna highlight, this is a, an important programming piece that we like to pair with supportive services um, like job training search, budgeting, skill, you know, credit improvement, housing search. So it might be sort of a pairing of services that you would see a nonprofit doing or a locality doing. 
But I do want to highlight that this component in the continuum really reduces our overall costs, um, both as it relates to human trauma, right? If we can prevent people from going into homelessness, um, they don't face trauma and go through sort of the emotional aspects of that and the financial aspects of that. Um, it's a lower community cost um, and it reduces sort of the separation from individuals with their community and just that overall credit history issue. And I would just highlight that in in Sacramento County in our in our last few point in time counts, which is when we do a homeless census, um, we are seeing a, an increase in first time homelessness. Um, we've had as many as sort of half of our count, 40 to 50% of our count come up as first time homeless individuals and families. So I would just highlight this as something um, our, fam our, our community um, could look into as, as part of our response to first-time homelessness. Um, always important to think about what are all of the pathways that you know people find them, their way into homelessness unexpectedly. And I, I'm, I'm not gonna go through this whole list um, in the interest of time, but I just think it's important to think through, there's such a wide range of experiences and faces when we're talking about who becomes homeless. And so in response to that, we really have to think creatively and really tailor our programming towards all of these individual needs. Um, and so that's why it takes a, a whole continuum to do those steps and in, even look at the front end, the inflow process and see how we can reduce inflow from different systems. Another big piece uh, early on is just this trust building and assessment piece that our case managers do with individuals who have fallen into homelessness to really understand their story. And um, this weaves into problem solving because sometimes we can identify individuals who have resources that maybe we can reconnect them to. They just need you know, that initial one step or, or one um, bit of assistance to, to find a family member or reconnect with a job, or there just might be one thing that we can do that um, that really saves time and resources and, um, and the trauma of going through the whole process. So it's really important to us to identify people we can work with on rapid rehousing and problem solving early um, that might be just a deposit or an application fee or just help with the actual application process, um, assistance with transportation, maybe there's somewhere they need to get where they could be reconnected with family. So really having those conversations and connecting people to their existing support networks, if there is one, is a, a first step for us as well. Beyond that, if folks are actually unsheltered and in need of housing, um, and I'm, I'm not gonna go into all of the sheltering options, but of course you all know we have emergency shelter, we're doing safe grounds, we're doing motel vouchering programs, um, in addition to Project Room Key, which is run through the county. So happy to talk about any of those, but I'm really focused on the housing piece with this presentation. Um, so transitional housing or interim housing is another, or bridge housing goes by all these names, but it's the same thing, is sort of a 12 to 24 month kind of perspective on providing assistance to individuals who might need a transitional period 
to prepare for permanent housing. And this might be a job training period, um, you know, programs like St. John's and Weaves and, and Women's Empowerment and some others and Salvation Army do pretty extensive job training programs. Um, it might be a substance use treatment program. Um, so there might be a step before permanent housing. Um, a lot of you have probably heard of Housing First, which is another policy objective or, or perspective on you know, whether or not to do transitional housing. And I will say that um, in the housing community, we've sort of come full spectrum on whether Housing First or transitional housing is best. And um, I think it really, again, depends on the individual and their needs. And it's important for us to listen to them and what's going on with them and have these different options available based on the, the circumstances of the individual or the family. So with the housing first model, um, the thought is that you get someone into permanent housing and then sort of stabilize all of those other needs. And with a lot of our permanent supportive housing, which is affordable housing with services, they may have the opportunity to do that. Um, but again, it's sort of different paths based on who who, who the individual is and, and what support they need to obtain and um, retain housing. Um, so the, like I mentioned, merits to both looking at the client needs and history, but I did wanna talk a little bit about what affordable housing is, just um, by way of background in case anybody needs some additional information there. So under state and federal guidelines, affordable housing is really looking at people spending about 30%, sometimes up to 35% of their gross income towards housing. Anything more than that is considered um, a hardship. And especially if we get to 50% of more of their income going towards housing. And so we've broken into, well, the state and federal government, um, have defined these income categories that we look at, extremely low income, very low, low and moderate. Most of our affordable housing on the rental side is gonna be in the 30% and 50% ranges. Sometimes we'll go to 60 or 80%. Um, so those very low and low income categories. If folks are coming out of homelessness, most often they're gonna be in that extremely low income. And Right now, our median income or our, our midpoint of incomes in the county for Sacramento for a four-person household is $91,100 a year. Um, this gets updated annually, and here's the chart of sort of our overall incomes right now. If you were to break it into those income categories, and this is number of people in the household. So we acknowledge that if you have dependents, right? It's a different dynamic than if there's a one or a two person household. So these income categories reflect number of people in household. And then this is just to give you a sense of sort of the affordable rents based on the income categories, making some assumptions about what kind of utilities might be paid, gas or electric, but an affordable rent for a, a single individual at an extremely low income level is around $400. And this is why we uh, focus on affordable housing development because you can't find that in the marketplace. Um, and even at the very low income range and into low income, um, you know, it's getting harder and harder, especially with the housing impacts we've seen uh, with folks coming from the Bay Area, moving out with the ability to work from home due to COVID and just increasing demand on our, um, 
our housing market. So just to briefly mention some of the types of affordable housing, and you, you all are probably familiar uh, with a lot of these, you know, there might be privately owned rental housing, um, either by a nonprofit or a for-profit, that's 7th and H up there that Mercy Housing owns, um, publicly owned rental housing, right, SHRA has um, public housing that they own and lease in our community. Sometimes there's a mix of incomes within a rental housing community based on how it was financed and put together. Um, and sometimes it's all affordable rental housing. And then of course there are smaller um, opportunities for kind of smaller communities through group care homes where six or fewer people could be living in a single family home um, and things like board and care and room and board, which have varying degrees of licensing. So it's really important to look into the details and make sure that if it's a board and care or room and board, um, that there are uh, well-trained staff and everything's sort of a, above board, <laughs> if you will. Um, and then, so that's sort of our project-based categories or the apartment itself is affordable is how I would define that. And then there are tenant-based assistance measures like rental assistance, deposit assistance, and other kind of ways for us to help the individual. And then what they would do with something like rental assistance is then they would still have to go find an apartment and use that rental assistance at that apartment. So it would follow them wherever they go, but they have to find the housing versus the housing having the affordable rent. So things, um, different programs related to rental assistance might be, and probably most of you know the Section 8 voucher program, or it's now called the Housing Choice Voucher Program. And there are specialty uh, population focuses within the Housing Choice Voucher Program um, and specialty programs. The county has the Flexible Housing Pool, which is sort of a short-term rental assistance program for a few years to help someone transition into permanent housing. And then uh, we have done some deposit assistance through SAC Steps Forward. Rent guarantees are a way to help people sort of get into housing, especially out of homelessness. So we might guarantee rent for the first three months, six months, whatever it takes to really bring in new landlords to a program. And then ongoing supportive services to ensure that folks that get housing um, can maintain it over time. Um, I think that's skipped actually, sorry. So, never mind. So with the um, housing search itself, there are a lot of ways to look for resources. And I do wanna highlight, this is something the council actually funded the first million dollars towards a coordinated access system last night. It's something that we're working on with the county and um, Sacramento Steps Forward is how do we create a central point of access so that people aren't having to track down all of the resources in our county, which is challenging for, for all of us as things change and update. Um, and that would include steps towards housing, but our shelter and our services as well. And so we're working towards a two-on-one system where we would funnel all of our resources into one coordinated access point instead of having, right now we have over 61 access points for all the 120 programs in our 
in our county. So I would highlight for this commission, as you're looking at programs, really to encourage use of coordinated entry and coordinated access so that those are the same things that people use them interchangeably. Um, so that as we're funding different programs as a city, we're thinking about how do we make it easiest for the client to access the service. Um, so these are different ways to access housing, of course, housing choice vouchers, as well as they're applying for the affordable rental housing as it becomes available and identifying other barriers, um, credit repair. We do have the financial empowerment center that the city runs that also assists people with credit repair and budgeting. And just also preparing clients for interviews and helping them get to the interview, pay the fees and really make a good impression with a landlord is an important piece of what we do. Um, then the last two things I wanna highlight, just landlord relationships, how important it is for all of our housing programs, especially when we're focusing on individuals and families coming out of homelessness, that we build trust and relationships with landlords so that they continue to work with us in programs. So if there are issues, they can call staff at the nonprofit service provider um, or staff providing rental assistance so they know how to get assistance quickly and we continue to build and maintain that trust. Um, using programs like Ready to Rent and other programs that prepare clients to be good tenants if it's been a while since they've had a permanent housing unit all important features to us having a continuum of housing that really works for the whole community, the, the tenant and the landlord. And lastly, retention. I, I always wanna highlight that, you know, it's great for us to get people into housing or get them rehoused or, or help them with a homeless prevention piece, but retention over time is really important for us to look at so that, especially with people we're bringing out of homelessness that you know, if we get them rehoused, but they get evicted again, then that's just gonna be an even harder path back to housing again. So it's really important for us to think about what kind of services we need to continue to support someone to maintain their housing and think long-term and ensure that they have a support network of either professionals and or family and friends that help them maintain the housing. So, um, we just continue to look for ways to provide everyone a home and, and thrive together as a community. I really appreciate the work that this commission does. I know you all um, are looking at, you know, the basic needs of our community. And I hope that this presentation helps um, provide some, some light into what we're doing on the housing and rehousing side. And I'm happy to take any questions and this PowerPoint will be available if it's a reference that anyone wants to have for the future. Thank you so much, Danielle. That was really helpful. Um, I'm gonna open up to public comment and then I'll get to commissioner questions and comments. And I definitely have some for you. So um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you. There are no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment on this item. Thank you. Um, so I kind of just wanted to get started with um, a question about sort of where we're always trying to figure out where our resources are gonna be best used. We only have typically like $160,000, which is not a ton of money. Um, and we typically get like 20 applications-ish and our average grant I think is $7,000. So we're not, you know, gonna solve homelessness or, or, you know, reduce 
hunger to an extreme degree in, in the county. Um, but we obviously want to make sure our resources are being spent in the best way possible. Um, and so in the past, we've sort of funded um, hotel voucher programs, and we've funded um, like some of the shelter programs here in the city. We've also um, done some utility assistance. And I'm sort of wondering if like from your perspective, is there a, like a hole in the current resources that we could help fill that might be more helpful than somewhere else? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there are two components that I would think about um, with the commission funding because it's more flexible funding. Um, I would look for gaps in the system where it's harder to get other resources. And so things, um, and you know, it's, I know it's hard to choose and I wanna acknowledge that and give so much respect and empathy for all of you for the hard choices that I'm sure you make every year. Um, but uh, I would look for the areas where it's less likely that state federal funds are gonna come through. So um, why, while we might be able to do shelter more easily, there might be like the motel vouchering or, or services pieces. It's often hard for us to fund some of those service like case management services or other types of things that are less tangible and just um, utility assistance can be more challenging. Um, so kind of the gap areas would be one thing I would highlight. And maybe that's just a question you ask applicants is, is there any other funding sources that would assist with this or, um, and then leveraging, I think is the other interesting question is how, how can your funds help leverage other funding? Or is it a pilot program that, um, that they can sort of get statistics using the, lo the local commission funds in order to be more competitive for future funding? Um, those are some of the questions I would ask. Yeah. Um, are there any other members of the commission who would like to speak or have questions? Commissioner Yanez? Yes, I, I wanted to get a better understanding what you meant, um, rental assistance with um, with Section 8. If there, if you guys are already providing housing, and where does Section 8 come in? Because that's a rental assistance as well. So how you had that low housing. So how do they differ? Yeah. So it's a great question, and I didn't highlight it. So thanks for asking. Um, so rental assistance... The affordable units that are already at an affordable rent, like you're pointing out, let's say we have an affordable studio apartment at $400 a month. Um, that probably would just be used on its own without a Section 8 voucher. But let's say we have, um, but the voucher separately could be used by another person and taken to any market rate unit where they can make the affordability of it work. There's a little bit of details in that, but the voucher is worth, let's say it's $900 a month for a studio. And if they can go find a studio in the city that, that meets that cap, then they pay their portion, their $400 and SHRA pays $500 and together the landlord gets paid in full, right? So that's how they work separately. But there are circumstances where they work together, where we might have an affordable unit that 
is targeted at somebody at 60% of AMI, but the person moving in is at 30% of AMI and they can use the voucher to fill, to fill that gap. So if they can only afford that $400 a month, but the rent is $700 a month, then the voucher can pay the difference for them. So they can be used both separately or together. Okay. And then the other question I have is I, I, I see this only one way the city pouring into this individual that's unhoused. What is the what are we holding that person to respond back and pay back and be productive? I mean, is there a progression report card saying, okay, you you done your budgeting, you know how to do budgeting, you know how to, you know, how to handle uh, savings. I mean yeah. Where's the accountability for the recipient? Yeah, great question. This is a great question for any of your applicants because I will acknowledge that this is going to vary by program. So it might be something that you ask when you, when people are applying for funding. But I'll tell you on the city side, um, it does depend on the program. But we do have rules and expectations in each of our programs, and it varies based on what it is. But I'll just talk about for our motel voucher program that we're doing. If folks are in a motel room, we have supportive services and rehousing services through Step Up, and they are required to A, follow rules, uh, B, you know, maintain their room. I mean, there's a lot of rules that we have, but things would include like maintaining their room and keeping it clean and being respectful of staff, engaging with our staff. So one of the things is we want to help you move on to the next level, just like what you're saying, right? What steps are we taking to get you housed? And so in order to stay in our program, um, they have to stay engaged and working with staff on those next steps. So in with case management, the case manager at the shelter or wherever the, the services are being provided will work with the client to come up with those steps and they need to fulfill those steps in order to stay in the program. So there are expectations on both sides of the table. Now, I do want to acknowledge it will vary based on the program. And some of our programs are what we call lower barrier versus uh -huh. others. And so there might be more flexibility in some of the lower barrier shelters because there is a peri period of time where we're just trying to build trust with people, um, depending on how chronically homeless they are they may, you know, need a little bit of time just to sort of reacclimate um, and build a relationship with their case manager before they're ready to kind of take next steps. But it's definitely a piece of any programming that we're doing is looking at how are we working towards housing? Because housing is our ultimate goal with everybody. Right. But we have a lot of mental cases. You see them talking to themselves, hand movement and so forth. So you have the, maybe, I don't know, the schizophrenic or the bipolar who's not medicated. How are we going to, I don't know, force that person to take medication so that they can function to the next level? Is there, there you can't just be pouring to somebody who doesn't want to take any meds. Yeah, and I think what you're pointing out is the trust building and the relationship building. We can't force anybody to, to receive services or receive medication. Um, and so it's important for our outreach teams, you know, the Department of Community Response has outreach teams that go and they make regular contact with individuals who are in these circumstances that you're talking about and, and trying to, you know, build the trust. Like if, if you see me every day for a week, then I start to be um, 
you know, known to you and you can trust me, you know, so there's just this whole, this whole relationship building that has to happen. And we've seen it, you know, with, with different clients, it's different people will connect with them better. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, cause I've seen, um, I think Steve Walter, one of our recipients, he, he works with them. He, he, mm-hmm. you know, builds that trust, but then all of a sudden one night the guy takes dope again and he's back to zero. Mm-hmm. So as, in those cases, why don't we have a mental institution where we can institutionalize that individual? Because it's habit for me. It's not going to change ever. And, mm-hmm. and we, is there any laws that we're going to in, institute or apply so that these chronic conditions, like I remember interviewing Steve and he was telling me his situation where this guy was doing great, 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 great. Boom, he took dope and now he's back to zero. Um, and in those cases where it's repetitive, it's a history, it's not gonna change. When is the city or the state going to help institutionalize us because they can't help themselves? I think at this point, I mean, these are these are good questions, and these are questions we grapple with every day. Um, sort of the civil liberty, <laughs> like when when does civil liberty kind of meet with helping people, and mm-hmm. where's that line? Um, people have choice right now, um, they, because of our civil liberties, to decide you know which path they're going to go down, and and it is true that something will happen. And it'll often be linked to a mental health um, trigger if something changes that people will regress. Um, and we have instituted as a city, we opened the Sure Center um, a year ago, a year and a half ago with Well Space. So we have a space where people can go and detox and we try to link them into other services, but it's all voluntary. And, um, and I think some of your questions are bigger questions and you're right, it's state, state and federal questions about, you know, how do we respond in a way that's both compassionate and, you know, honors people's individualism? And when do we sort of recognize where those two things kind of come together? And, and we as a community want to support people, you know, and help people. And so how do we do that best, I think, is something that we work through. Yes, I remember the lumberjack conversion that that was going to be a safe place for people to go and it, it we still had them in the river right there you know where i'm talking about used mm-hmm. to be the old lumberjack building mm-hmm. what happened yeah. to that but that that was a lot of money that was million dollars money as i recall well we've done different shelters uh i think you're talking are you talking about the railroad shelter or the lumberjack site where the affordable housing is going yeah, that's actually being developed. Well, it used to be before that, before that, it used to be where people can be having a safe place to sleep. Mm-hmm. And they also had multi-services and it, I don't know, I'm the old one here. <laughs> well, yeah, the city's doing a lot in terms of the- But um, I wanted to know what happened to the result. We put millions of dollars and, and nothing, I think, I, I haven't seen any improvement. It's just pouring one way and it's not, nothing coming- to fruitation to help alleviate the problem is still there so yeah that's my concern yeah they're they're valid concerns we're we're getting thousands of people housed the problem is we're having thousands of people come into homelessness so i think 
going back to one of the things I mentioned is that it's important for us to look at the front end of that and the prevention side. And I think the two pieces are prevention and how do we expand our housing services and our social services to ensure that people have the support they need to actually get into housing and maintain mm -hmm. it. And affordability right now is a big challenge for us. And Frankly, we used to have a lot more money to build affordable housing when uh, redevelopment agencies were still in place before 2012, when the state dissolved redevelopment agencies. Um, and we're still, we've got a dozen projects of affordable housing that are ready to go, but they need funding. So it's, it's a challenging, challenging time and we continue to work on it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, great questions. Thank you guys. Are there any other commissioner comments or questions? Nope, I don't see any. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. No, this Karen. Sorry. Oh, right there. Has her hand raised. Oh, sorry. Your hand raise is right in your... Uh, I was going like, to say, I noticed that. I noticed that. <laughs> Blends in. Um, thank you, Danielle, for that presentation. That was um, very enlightening. So are we doing... Is your department or the Department of Community Response now doing anything to... Um, get some of these individuals that are unhoused back to their families that are from out of state, because we know that many of them are from out of state. And so we're paying for all these people that are coming in from other states. I just wonder if there might be something that we can do to get them hooked up with their families from, from back home and that they can help out. Because I know many yeah. of the families do want to help out. So it's the point of getting them back there. Absolutely. Um, that would be part of the problem solving piece that I was talking about. If we know that someone just needs a train ticket or a, you know, a way home, um, we definitely work with individuals to do that. And I'm out of the Office of Innovation and Economic Development, which I didn't mention before. And, um, but I work closely with the, the Department of Community Response and they have the outreach teams and contract with some of our local nonprofits to do outreach. And um, they've been doing a lot of that problem solving work. And so, yes, if there was somebody who still had family that they could reconnect with, we would definitely help them do that. And Sacramento Steps Forward has been doing a lot of that as well. Great, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Any other commissioner comments or questions? All right. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. Um, this item is receive and file, so we don't have to vote or anything. Um, and we'll go ahead and move on to the next item. And feel free to stay or log off as <laughs> you feel like. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. So the next item is the semi-annual report for uh, July to December 2021. And I believe Janelle is going to give us a staff presentation. Hi. Yes. Uh... Good evening, commissioners. Um, please bear with me. I was having a bit of technical difficulty, so the uh, Madam Clerk will be sharing her screen. Um, Madam Clerk, oh, thank you so much. Uh, yes, that's the exact page I need. Um, so in the reports that you received uh, for the semi-annual reports for July to December of 2021, almost all of the reports were received except for two agencies that received funding in 2021. Uh, Next Move Homeless Services, um, as well as NeighborWorks Sacramento, uh, 
they both received um, all all agencies received reminders prior to the uh, the due date as well as um, after the due date if it came uh, if they didn't submit their report on time um, I definitely submitted multiple follow-up emails they each received a minimum of three follow-up emails uh, that the report was uh, due and overdue um, and have not received any response um, however all of the reports um, in this staff report that were received, um, the rest of the reports, they did account for any carryover from the January to June period, if they did have any, um, and no one had any unextended funds at the end of the year. Great, thank you, Janelle. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, I have no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment on this item. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? Talbot, is your hand is up. Yes, um, I noticed there's a number, there's eight of our grantees that are not listed on here. Does that just mean they didn't provide the report? Uh, or is this, uh, this so is last year's, right? Yes, so this the list that you see um, is the list of agencies that received funding in 2021. Okay. Uh, this was their second uh, second report That's reflecting the, the second half of the year. All right, yeah, I was, so it's, these are not 2022 grant recipients. I noticed that, that a couple of the, the two that have not submitted their report are grant recipients for 2022 as well. Um, what what do we do if they don't submit the final report that they're required to? Um, how do we do we let them just not submit a report? Is, are there consequences for them not submitting a report? I don't know the answer. Sounds like it would probably be a breach of contract issue. So maybe Michael can speak to that. Hi. Um, <clears throat> yeah, if they don't comply with the terms of the contract, and if one of the terms of the contract is that they're supposed to provide these reports, then theoretically, yes, that's it's a breach of contract, and theoretically, the city could pursue litigation against them. I mean, that's sort of the the last alternative that we'd want to pursue. I mean, there's sort of progressive steps I think we'd want to take to try to uh, to get them to comply, um, short of actually filing a lawsuit. Um, so there, there are ways to go about it, but in the end, ultimately, yeah, it would be a breach of contract and the city could claw back the grant funding. Okay, thank you. So there- Sorry um, to interrupt. Uh, oh, so sorry, I just, uh, this is Janelle, I just wanted to clarify that of the two that did not submit a report, only Next Move Homeless Services uh, is also a 2022 grant recipient. Uh, NeighborWorks Sacramento did not receive grant funding uh, for this year. Right, right. Okay, thank you. And Next Move is working on curing the issue. I have not, I've, 
had multiple conversations with them via email reminding them, um, and they've told me that they would submit, but it has not yet been submitted. Um, we did, um, as with our regular practice, um, process all of the uh, new grant agreements as well as the uh, January grant payment. Um, so they did receive a January grant payment. However, we do uh, let them know um, usually at mid-year when we need their January to June report uh, that they will not receive their second uh, their second half of their funding until we've received that report. Um, so for this agency, uh, generally speaking, I would continue to follow up to ask for their uh, report from 2021 and also let them know that we would not process another grant uh, payment until both reports are received. Uh-huh. Great, thank you. you. That was the perfect answer to my question. Thank you. Uh, uh, can you guys see that my hand is up? Yes, I was going to call on you next, Lori. Uh, Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, the California Arts Council has language that says something along the lines of, if if you have not completed reports for previous grants, you will be ineligible to apply for this round of funding. And I wonder if that's something maybe that we could include in our, our application language. Maybe that's something we can um, discuss when we get to that agenda item for approving next year's uh, application process. Is that okay if we defer the discussion until then? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks, Lori. Okay. Any other commissioner comments or questions? All right, hearing none, I think the uh, this item is also just to receive and file, so we don't need to take a vote on it. Um, and we'll move on to the next item. So next up, we have item six, uh, assignment of the 2022 site visits. Um, and I think Janelle's again gonna give us a staff presentation. Uh, yes, Madam Clerk, if you would please share the Word document with the listing of 2022 grant recipients. Um, this uh, list is all of the grants who, or I'm um, sorry, all of the applicants who received um, allocated grant funds uh, you will see a set of asterisks next to harm reduction services. Um, just wanted to provide you some information that as, as you move forward and assign um, site visits to each of the commissioners for this year. Um, although uh, the authorized representative from harm reduction services did uh, sign a grant agreement, <laughs> um, I have been um, reaching out to them multiple times um, to get them to register with the city's uh, vendor supplier portal um, because they are a new recipient. Um, they're not an existing supplier. So in order for us to process any payments to a grant recipient, they have to be registered with our supplier portal um, and have not received any response whatsoever from the agency. So we, though we do have a grant agreement with them, we have not processed any grant payments yet um, and have received no response to any outreach. Um, so just wanted the commission to be aware of that. Thanks, Janelle. Maybe we can um, hold off on assigning a, a person to that site until we're done. Um, Janelle, what's the amount that they received? Uh, so sorry. One moment, please. Talbot, I think it was low. I think they were in the bottom tier. Yeah, that's what I remember, but I don't 
I can probably go back and find it somewhere. Harm reduction services received 1,550 um, for their grant. Thank you. All right. Are there any, um, Madam Clerk, are there any uh, members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you. I have no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment on this item. Thank you. Um, so I think we each probably need to take about four of these. Allison, your sound is off. You're muted. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> okay, so I think we each need to take about four of these um, items, except for Yosef um, isn't here, so he will probably get the leftover of what people <laughs> on the line don't want. So if we each want to go through and um, maybe say which four we want, um, we can go ahead and start with Talbot. Well, I, I had a question um are, has there been any movement on filling the vacancies on this commission? Since we're spreading more grantees about th over less commissioners. Uh, this is Janelle. Uh, yes, actually, we uh, the TPNE commission just had a committee just had a meeting um, on Tuesday to of this week to confirm uh, two new commission members. Um, they do have to, the recommendation of the committee has to go forward to council uh, for approval. I believe that is a March 1st um, council date to approve the recommendation of two new commission members, after which time the clerk's office will work directly with the commissioners to uh, do all of the necessary paperwork to process them and get them, um, uh, provide them with an orientation. So their next meeting, their first meeting to participate would be the, the May meeting. Okay. Right. So maybe we, if we get two new folks, we can probably do three each. Do we want to go ahead and assign four each for now and then reassign later? Or do you guys want to just do three each and leave the rest open and we can reassign at the May meeting? So that if we do it in May, um, we end up like telling them in the middle of May and they have until, you know, they'll have like a month to get whatever site visits are and they've never done it before. They don't know the grantees. Um, I'm wondering if it might be better to assign them all now and then at the May meeting discuss with the new members whether or not they should take some commissioner site visits. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't, I don't know how I would feel if I joined a commission and then at the first meeting got told I had four weeks to do site visits that I don't even know anything about how the commission works, how the grant process works, who the, who the agencies are that are recipients, that sort of thing. It might sort of jam up the new members and be difficult for them. That's my two cents. Sure, Lori. I just wanted to reflect that um, when Commissioner Corbs came on as part of the onboarding process, she actually joined me on a, a site visit or two. So uh, I'd be more than happy to have, uh, if we do them in person, to 
have someone shadow with me on those. I think it's a it's a good way to you know get your feet wet, as it were. Sure, Commissioner Corpse. Um, thank you for that. And I I was thinking the exact same thing that I remember when I came on board and I thought, what in the world? What do I say <laughs> to these people? Now the good news is. Janelle is so wonderful and she provides us a piece of, you know, exactly what of our questions are, but even besides the four questions we have, it's about getting to know them and, and building a relationship. And so, um, commissioner McIntosh was wonderful to allow me to, to shadow her. And I think that we should all at least attempt to do that for the new people. Cause even being on the commission now for a few years, I still have questions and, and still many of the things are new. Um, Maybe it takes a full three years before I feel like I know exactly everything. Sure. All right. So it sounds like we want to each pick four and then um, we'll give the balance to Yosef. And then uh, at the May meeting, we can talk about um, onboarding the new members and having them attend site visits with some of us. Um, so with that, I will open it up to if anyone wants to say which four they want to take. Members, uh, this is Blair Hongo in chamber. Janelle, would it be helpful on my end if I typed into the document? Uh, yes, please. I'm I, seeing I nodding, so my, that's what I will but... do. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Lori, I think you had your hand up first. You are muted. Okay. Um, because I've been to so many of these, I, I thought I could um, pick the ones that I still haven't been to yet, because that number you know, decreases every year. So I, I haven't seen um, Alchemist CDC. I'd like to visit with them. Um, Reimagine Mac Road. Uh, River City Food Bank. And please let me know if I need to zoom in at all on this document. Okay, thank you. And the Women's Civic Improvement Club. Okay. Great, thanks, thank you. Um, Wanda, you're up next. I wanted to do um, Wellspring Women's Center, South Sacramento Christian Center, Yeah, River City's taking. So um, let me see what else. Um, Meals on Wheels. And Community Against Sexual Harm. Thank you, Wanda. Karen? Thank you. Okay, I will do Loaves and Fishes. Uh, I'm just looking to see which ones are, thank you for typing those in because I'm, I'll do the LGBT center. I'll do, I'm so sorry, uh, I forgot in alphabetical order. There it is. Okay. My apologies. And then I'll do Sacramento Police Foundation. 
and um, how about what I'm looking for here? Uh, how about my sister's house? My sister's house. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Talbot, do you want to go next or do you want me to go? Um, I'll go. I'm trying to find ones in the list that is le that are left that I haven't already been to. Um, so I'll do first step communities. And the next move homeless services. The services okay oh it's sorry it's sacramento area emergency housing center sorry okay, thank you. that's only two huh um <laughs> let's do the sacramento regional family <laughs> family justice center and I did Salvation Army last year, but it was just on the phone. So if there's a chance we do these in person, it would be, I'd like to do that one again. Hey. Sounds good. Thank you. So I um, will take um, the WellSpace Health. And Women's Empowerment. and the Roberts Family Development Center and repairing the breach. And then we'll give the rest to um, Commissioner Zamanudin. There's six left. There's six left. Oh, one, two. Oh, okay. So I don't think we should assign harm reduction services until we get their contract sorted out, but um, I think with the five left, you know, one AC of us is going to have one more than one, <laughs> more than four. ACC um, is is a sister program with Meals on Wheels. Oh, that's true. So it's possible that um, Commissioner Yanez could do both in one visit. Okay, I'll take um, it. Unfortunately, so they are sister services, but they are on totally different sites. Oh. And so I did both of those. Was that just last year? I can't <laughs> flies. And yeah, totally different areas okay. now because Meals on Wheels used to be one place, and then they moved. And so I would keep those still separate. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Yeah. All right. So Commissioner Zamanudin gets five because he didn't come to the meeting. <laughs> um, we can adjust in May if, if needed. So. All right, thank you guys for that. Is there um, a, do we need a motion to approve the site visits? Yes. I have a quick question. Um, so he's getting ACC senior services and then South Sacramento Christian Center, St. John's, Stanford Settlement and Weave. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's on the 
Uh, this is Janelle. Um, as per the staff report, there's also a request for a recommendation on the due date uh, for the um, submission of these reports. Thanks for the reminder, Janelle. Can we do a motion and approval for this um, assignment and then we can get to this date? I move to approve the uh, commissioner's assignment for visit visiting each site as is. I second. All right, I have a motion from Commissioner Yanez to approve the assignments and a second with by Commissioner Talbot. Will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Corbs. I approve. Commissioner Smith. Yes. Commissioner Yanez. Yes. Secretary McIntosh. Aye. Vice President Zamanudin is absent. President Leary. Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. Thank you. And then we will move on to a discussion about the deadline. Um, I think typically we do it sometime in July. Um, I don't know, Janelle, if you have, is, is there timing that's easier or harder for you on, on the staff side? Uh, typically the reports have been due by the end of July so that uh, the reports can be shared in the August meeting. And do you need like a specific amount of time ahead of that meeting or is it any time? Um, if all the reports are submitted on time, uh, we do need to submit as per city processes uh, approximately a week to 10 days prior for approvals um, and public posting. Uh, so would ask that they be due no later than the 7th, which is a Sunday. So the last weekday would be Friday, August 5th. All right, let's so switch that up a week what? in case. Um, so when does she want it? July the 7th? Well, it no. has to be done before August 5th. And I'm proposing that we push that deadline up a week in case we have some stragglers. So I would suggest maybe July 29th. I That's agree. I agree. That's too close. How about July 22? The Friday. Why is it too close? Because she said she needed 10 days to, to um, process it. No, she needs it by the 10 days would be by August 5th. Oh, oh okay. All right, then the 29th sounds good. Friday, the 29th seems reasonable to me. All right, do I have a motion and a second? I move that we set a due date for the um, 2022 site visit reports to be submitted to staff no later than July 29th, 2022. A second. Great. I have a motion from Commissioner Smith and a second from Commissioner Corbs. Uh, will the clerk please call the roll for the vote? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Corbs. Aye. Commissioner Smith. Aye. Commissioner Yenis. Aye. Secretary McIntosh? Aye. Vice President Zalmanudin is absent and President Leary? Aye. Thank you, motion passes. Thank you. So the next item is item number seven, review and approve the grant process documents for the 2023 grant cycle. Um, as uh, I believe Janelle is gonna give us a presentation on this item. 
Yes, thank you. Um, and thank you, Madam Clerk, for sharing your screen. Uh, so as per the staff reports, I did review all of the available needs assessments and looked for updated versions. However, because um, as is required um, per the federal guidance, community health needs assessments are only required to be done once every three years. Um, so the community health needs assessments are still the most current. I believe they will be redoing them this year. So there should be one available by next year um, for each of these uh, medical centers. Um, the agency on aging area plan is still the most recent as well as the city's fair housing assessments. Um, the only one that was updated was the very bottom Sacramento County's uh, MHSA uh, the Mental Health Services Act that requires um, a continuum of services related to um, various tiers of mental health um, service provision to communities. Um, Madam Clerk, if you would please scroll down to the following page. Sure. Ah, too slow. My apologies. I'm ahead of myself. And I'll scroll out. Thank you so much. Uh, so uh, there are three documents requested to be reviewed, one of which is uh, the annual commission priorities, um, as is in blue in the middle of the sheet. Um, so sorry, Madam Clerk, if you wouldn't mm -hmm. mind uh, zooming in, I'm sure that it looks very small uh, to see. Um, but the middle, the middle of the documents in blue that looks at the annual funding priorities. Uh, we would be updating that to the 2023 grant priorities. As you can see, the 2022 priorities were food and housing with a focus on service of housing and wraparound services uh, with the disclaimer right below that that does say that although priority areas are identified, um, we encourage applicants for proposals that meet the general definition of services to of basic human needs to service uh, the destitute men, women, and children of the city. Um, are still eligible applications. Um, so along with the available community health needs assessments, strategic plans, um, presentations, including um, the presentation that Danielle Foster provided, um, wanted to open the discussion to the commission as to what the 2023 grant funding priorities might be. Thank you, Janelle. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you. I have no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment on this item. Thank you. Um, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? Commissioner Yanez? Yes, but in addition to these food and housing, what other, other options do we have? Um, it's really anything that we can think of um so i, I would like, like utility to assistance programs or um mental health services whatever we decide okay then i i propose that we focus on children anything so that revolves programs children benefiting children okay mm -hmm. commissioner corps I know that when um, in November and we had these, you know, as the priorities um, and there was a, we discussed about what wraparound services mean. And, you know, we have quite a few of our, of the uh, charities that provide transportation and we don't specifically list that out. Um, 
I don't know if we want to go back to having that listed or do we just do we just know that that's wraparound services you know is part of transportation sure um, in, in some cases transportation is not wraparound services like um acc senior services right. um their transportation is just is, like transportation to get to the grocery right. store and doctor's appointments right and that's their primary funding is what they so i i just you know and and so many of the i mean there's quite a few of, of the cherries or you know yeah. that wellspring that is another one wellspring a lot of them provide vouchers for transportation i believe mm -hmm. women's empowerment does yeah um, so i i don't know i mean maybe we don't list that out i just wanted to throw that out there because i always feel like that's something we talk a lot about is transportation well and we used to we used to open it up and ask people to categorize as food housing um transportation utility assistance we had like five or six categories and we asked them to put to say which category they fit in um and then after a, a year's worth of discussion we decided that in in order to not try and make everybody happy but to create a focus we would look at what the needs are in the community and i don't think the needs for all of those things are going to go away but our goal was to try and focus our process by creating these annual funding priorities and then evaluating the applications based on how they how they meshed with the with our priorities for that year um so i do think it gave us a lot more um avail a lot more of an ability to evaluate in a less subjective manner um by having priorities and if we go back to them all being priorities we've lost our we've lost any priorities altogether so i i think it's important that we focus on a couple of things um in order to make our job if we're trying to show how how we're evaluating if we don't focus on anything it's going to be difficult for the evaluations to make sense to somebody who might be looking at them to see what we're doing or how we're doing it. Because we went through a lot of long and sometimes painful discussions about um, how what we needed to do as far as getting to priorities. I don't know, Allison, you were part of that process and so was Lori. Yeah. So was Wanda actually. Yeah, I think and I think Karen came on at the very end. She <laughs> was an attendee at our very, very, very long <laughs> meeting that one time. Oh, that's right. Karen, and, I think Karen and Yusuf were both there. Oh, yeah. we, we were both there and that remember the rain and the yes, yeah. and, they didn't, and they didn't run out the door. And yeah. so and I think that's where there was so much debate about it. And then I just happened to, you know, some of the places that I, I had on my sites to visit focused a lot on transportation and so i mean I'm proposing um proposing transportation as a focus 
Yeah, this so I think I think what you're saying makes sense, um, Karen, and I I I don't think it's inconsistent with what Talbot is saying, and that you know we we aren't, and I think that's why we added this language at the end, the like the we identify priorities each year, all applicants are encouraged to submit proposals regardless of whether they fit within our priorities. So I think, you know, the fact that we do fund a lot of transportation programs um, probably speaks to the need that need for transportation in the community, but I don't think it um, necessarily requires us to call it out as an annual funding priority, unless we decide that it is an annual funding priority. And then I think we should call it out. But I think the point of this funding priorities is just to focus on programs that we think are particularly needed in this this moment in time. So totally understand. I just, uh, and if you want transportation to be one, I think that's perfectly reasonable. I just, um, you know, we as a commission need to, to come up with our priorities. I think in looking at the personally and looking at the um, community needs assessments, it seemed like um, there's a, a lack of access to like medical care and, and mental health services was something that stood out to me in the reports. Um, uh -huh. And so I think maybe focusing on transportation to, um, you to know, medical services. medical services or mental health services would be something that I think should probably be a priority for this year if um, the other commissioners agree. And another item that stood out to me, <clears throat> excuse me, um, from Danielle's presentation today is the homelessness prevention programs. And so maybe focusing more on um, like utility assistance or, or programs that prevent people from becoming homeless in the first place. So those were where I was focusing on, but I'm happy to hear other commissioner comments. I agree with you. I, I want to amend mine because the most vulnerable are children who are codependent on the parent, right? And the um, senior citizen who doesn't have travel. I remember um, Pacific Women's Club, the woman could not drive. She couldn't walk down the stairs to get to the bus or climb on the bus. And I'm thinking transportation was important for like the Women's uh, Improvement Club to, to um, get the groceries to her home. And not necessarily medical, but even getting the basic food to her home was important. So I think transportation may be important. I mean, if they got the housing, but they may not be able to make those appointments that they need to get. Sure. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner McIntosh. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I, I'm not trying to be a naysayer here. Obviously, I think supporting um, children and, and <laughs> children and, and women is important. There's no question about that. Um, when you're looking at funding streams, however, uh, there are there are a lot more grant opportunities for programs focused on women and children. There just are. There are very few programs for the, the men that find themselves homeless. Um, and we're one of the few opportunities that these agencies have to help that population. The women and children, have they do have opportunities to get much larger grants from other buckets of funding. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, I, I also agree with um, Commissioner Leary about prevention. I, I, I would love to see that as a priority if you know that's a possibility. And also in terms of wraparound services, did we ever define that? Is it, is it defined anywhere in our application? So the applicants know that, oh, they mean 
when we provide this, this, and this. And yeah, I don't believe it's defined anywhere in our, in no. our programs. I don't think it's defined in any of the documents, but I know that we talked about what that definition meant amongst the commission. Right. Well, I also think in this, in the practitioners or the, the people who are likely to be asking for our money, um, there's, I, I would guess that there is a general agreement about what that means, about counseling, housing, job training, um, dealing with substance abuse, that type of thing that I think there would be general agreement about the types of services that would fall under wraparound services um, amongst the people who are asking for our money. Because they're all, they've all been in this business a while. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that many of our grantees provide food. And if somebody is, is hungry, it doesn't, it, it's difficult for them to focus on finding employment, getting a job, finding a place to live if they, if they're starving. And so I, and I think that a great number of our recipients use our money to provide food. Yes. And so if we're going to add funding priorities, I don't think we should take food off of the list. Um, but then I, I am concerned that we do, we're identifying everything as a priority. And the whole purpose of having priorities was to look at what all the, all the assessments said and then decide what we were going to focus on that year. If we take a focus off of food, it's going to negatively impact about 80% of our grantees. So um, it sounds like I'm trying to like scroll through everyone's pictures while people are talking so I can see your head's nodding, but it looked like um, it's maybe. It's true. Keep food and, and maybe food and transportation this year. And because preventive. Well, we just heard a presentation though that, that rehab that housing providing housing and services to get people into more stable situations was a huge need in sacramento they're addressing it already Commissioner uh, this is janelle oh thanks janelle. sorry uh so sorry just wanted to clarify that there is a short list that i've been keeping tabs on as as suggested by various commissioners of a focus, uh, a choice between uh, focus on uh, children, transportation, um, both in general and um, suggested separately, uh, possibly transportation to medical or mental health services, homeless prevention support services um, or homeless uh, diversion services, uh, transportation services for the elderly, uh, support services for, for men, and food. Commissioner Corps, you'll be hand raised and your eyes wide. <laughs> well, 
Um, thank you for that, Janelle. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, we can just assume that people are going to interpret wraparound services as they wish, right? And and then that's our job to d decide if those wraparound services are worthy of some of the funds that we're going to be giving out. I mean, at the end of the day, um, we know that all of, you know, Wellspring and, and Asian Community Center, they, they do wonderful things for, for the community. And that's our job to decide that. And so I, and, and especially I wanted one more comment on Danielle's presentation. I mean, it was all about housing. We can't take housing off the list, obviously. We can't do that and food. So maybe just leave it the way it is and, and people can interpret wraparound services as they wish. Is, sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't finding the button. Um, is it, would it be possible to say housing and homeless services with a focus on services that pair housing with wraparound and just add and homeless to the, our second priority? Since homelessness seems to be everybody's top issue in the city of Sacramento, which is fine. It's, it is, does it deserves to be, um, if maybe if we say homelessness and housing as our second bullet, because homelessness then focuses on all of those things she talked about, the wraparound services, the trying to get people back to their family members, their, um, getting them into mental health or drug treatment programs, getting them into temporary housing. Um, so if we add dealing with homelessness to the second bullet that we had last year, would that expand it enough to make for everybody to kind of agree that that would be a good thing? I think what I, what I was trying to get at when I, with my question is, I think that there are funding sources within the city to provide certain services that we are simultaneously funding. And I would prefer our money go to services that don't have dedicated funding sources. And I know there's never enough money and there's not, you know, there's could always be more funding for homelessness. But I think what I took away from that program, from the presentation is that like, uh, like homelessness prevention is an area where there isn't a lot of dedicated funding and not a lot of grant opportunities. And then also um, sort of the, you know, wraparound services, less like the money that isn't tied to specific goods or, or programs. Like they just need, like most nonprofits usually just need general fund money that's not tied to like providing, you know, 17, you know, sheets or, you know, for the homeless shelter, like something very specific in that way. So I think I've, if we're going to, I think food and, you know, some sort of homelessness focus makes sense, but I would prefer if it were more focused on homelessness prevention programs or mental health services. Commissioner McIntosh. Thank you. Um, I, I agree with everything that everyone's saying. I, I do have a caveat that um, my understanding is that um, 
the use of uh, the word homelessness sometimes um, is, is not viewed kind, kindly, isn't viewed well, and that we're supposed to talk about people being unhoused. Um, so I don't know how, what the language would be in there. Plus, I, I like that it's food and it's housing. Those are two nouns. Those are things people need that we can focus on. But then if we're talking about preventive services, we would, usually you would see the word homeless there, homelessness. Well, she used it. Um, I think the big, everybody's problem seems to be with calling somebody homeless um, versus the situation of, of a large number of people being unhoused or homeless, but labeling somebody as homeless, like labeling somebody as um, it, what people used to say, calling somebody an illegal alien is, a, is derogatory. Um, referring to somebody as, you know, only homeless is, takes away from who they are as a human being. There's somebody who needs help. There's somebody who needs housing. There's somebody who needs mental health services, that sort of thing. Um, so, Allison, am I hearing you say that you think we should say preventing homelessness as a, one of our priorities? Yeah, I would probably say, you know, programs and services designed, designed to, to prevent. prevent homelessness. Um, but, if, you know, if I'm the only commissioner who feels that way, obviously, this is a democratic process and you guys can No, I agree me. with you. I agree with you. I said yes to that idea earlier. Homeless prevention. I don't know what you want to call it, but... Uh, you can you can the euphemism i don't care is the is the action that counts <laughs> right we have to remember too though that many of of uh the places that we interview and talk to and that are applying for funds um except anybody that walks through the door right so yeah. i don't know how that would I mean, all the food that the, the River City Food Bank gives out, many of those people aren't homeless. They have homes. They're just... Not enough money to buy the food. So... Yeah, but I think that's, like, one of the things that might, you know, a, a program that prevents homelessness helps people pay for other costs, like food. Yeah. That they, like other household costs, you know? Rent assistance. So I think what I would propose if, and we can take a vote on it, but so maybe I will make a motion <laughs> to have the annual funding priorities be food and then housing. But instead of saying with a focus on services that pair housing with wraparound services, I would say with a focus on programs and services designed to prevent homelessness. Yes, I second that motion. All right, so there's a, a motion by President Leary and a second by Commissioner Yanez. Um, nice job. <laughs> can we get a uh, vote, Madam Clerk? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Corpse? Aye. Commissioner Smith? Aye. Commissioner Yanez? Aye. 
Secretary McIntosh? Aye. Vice President Zamanudin is absent and President Leary. Aye. Thank you, that motion passes. Thank you. So our next item on the agenda, I think is the 2023 awards matrix. So Janelle, did you have a presentation on this item? Yes, thank you. So uh, Madam Clerk, so sorry, if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing, uh, scrolling down um, a page and a half from where you were to the funding awards matrix. What was, uh, just as an FYI to the commissioners, what was submitted as part of the staff report is uh, the same as what was from last year's grant cycle documents. Um, and the funding formulas remain stationary, although I uh, do recognize that during the funding meeting, uh, those amounts and tallies were adjusted um, in real time uh, to reflect um, scoring. So wanted to just uh, let you know that that's, that's still an option. It's more uh, at this point, just if uh, there were any suggested changes to the formulas overall or the formatting as a whole. Um, do we need to, sorry, do we need to call for members of the public or did, did the first time suffice for that, this agenda item? Uh, there are no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment on this item. Okay, thank you. Um, commissioners, uh, Commissioner Talbot, have your hand raised? Um, yes. This worked as a really good starting place for us and then we adjusted percentages to make the number come out right, which is what I think we're going to have to do. Um, I would suggest for next year, because I looked at the spreadsheet that had the, that was this document, um, and it required a lot of manipulation. And I think if there's more um, automatic calculations built in, it might save us, um, save us some time in the award process. Actually, what it would probably do is make Janelle's life a little easier to have <laughs> audit some automatic calculations built into the spreadsheet so that adjusting the percentage of the request automatically adjusts all of the, the applicant numbers. Because mm -hmm. I remember Janelle having to spend a lot of time doing that. Sure. And allows us it allows us to go back and forth without creating so much work. Yeah, I think that's a staff side right. direction. So I don't I don't think we need an approval on that. But Janelle, do what you need to do on the spreadsheet to make your life as easy as possible, please. <laughs> um, so are we? I didn't see in the packet the um, the matrix with the categories for grading is that something that we are just assuming is going to be the same as last year this is janelle so the uh the third aspect of this staff report is to review and approve the grant guidelines and grant application of which the evaluation matrix directly reflects a one to a zero to nine point scale based on the application questions themselves. Uh, so it would only be uh, amended if the grant application questions were amended. Okay, gotcha. Thank you for clarifying. Um, Commissioner McIntosh. 
So I'm not sure if this is when I bring this up or at the very end, but we, one of the things we talked amongst ourselves last year and said, you know, we probably should put a cap on this somewhere because if somebody's asking for, you know, $12,000 and they get, they get a hundred percent of what they're asking for that, you know, negatively impacts the people that only ask for 6,000 as an example. Um, and I'm not saying I have a, have a number in mind, but we did talk about maybe we should put a cap on these. Yeah. Um, I think if you don't mind, can we just pause that question until we get to the grant guidelines? Because that's um, the funds available category. I think we can amend that if that's what we decide to do there. But I want to get a motion and a second and a vote on this awards matrix first, if that's okay. Yes. Thank you. I move we approve the use of the awards matrix again this year. Is there a second? I second. Thank you. We have a motion from Commissioner Smith and a second from Commissioner Corps. Um, Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll for a vote? My apologies, I was muted. Uh, Commissioner Corps. Aye. Commissioner Smith. Aye. Commissioner Yenes. Aye. Secretary McIntosh. Aye. Vice President Zalmanudin is absent and President Leary. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. Okay, so now we can get to the 2022 grant guidelines. Um, Janelle, did you have something to say about this before we start discussing? Yes, thank you. Uh, Madam Clerk, if you wouldn't mind scrolling down another page. Thank you so much. So um, the these are the grant guidelines and application questions from the 2022 grant cycle. Wanted to uh, provide that um, as as is apparent, all of the highlighted dates need to be updated, and I can provide um, uh, relevant dates for this year um, as as relevant to the commission. Um, and I did actually make a note that in the funds available section um, to request. Uh, or qu query with the commission if they wanted to change the information to a minimum and maximum, um, as it was suggested in the November meeting to review that. All right, Lori, this is your uh, <laughs> time to shine. Do you want to speak on that? Sure. Um, I, I think it just makes sense, you know, to, ha to have a maximum. I don't know that we need a minimum, but I definitely am in favor of having a, a maximum but you know it's hard to say it should be twelve thousand dollars it should be ten thousand dollars because we haven't gotten the report from the treasurer's office saying how much money we'll have available but if we're going on previous year's performance you know we could probably comfortably say you know 11. i lower it to 10. Since they, we have one, two, three, four people that got the 10,000. Mm -hmm. Well, one, somebody got 12,500, 12, I think. 11 was South Sacramento Interfaith. Yeah, oh. and they, they, I think they applied for 12,000. So that was my question. Yes. What's, the, what's the most that we have ever given? The most. Have we ever given 12,000? Not in my experience, but Wanda, I would defer. No, um, actually, um, 11 is the most I think we ever gave. This one right here. 
usually is typically about 10,000 is the average. And I, what I worry about is that we do say, you know, the maximum and then people are going to say, oh, well, then I'm going to ask for that all of a sudden. <laughs> um, but I do believe that we, we do need to have a maximum. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I agree too. Because those, the people that observed the last, last year's thing, since this is the first time we've had this much detail provided them in real time, um, observed that it, the more you asked for, the more you got, even if you only got 50% of what you asked for, if you asked for $8,000 versus $10,000, you got 50%. So I do think that there'll be um, request creep if we, if we don't put a maximum yeah and i'm not sure what the right maximum is if it's ten thousand eleven thousand twelve thousand yeah janelle did you have your hand raised uh, yes uh for clarification in a review of uh the funding history since 2010 the highest um award allocation was twelve thousand five hundred in 2015. oh wow a long time ago Yeah, I. Who did that go to, Janelle? That was to Francis House of Sacramento. Mm. So yeah, I would say I'm certainly in favor of adding a maximum for the reasons everyone has stated. Um, okay, can I put a motion? Sure. Okay, I motioned um, to max it at 10,000. Is there a second? I'll second, but can I make an amendment? Uh -huh. um, that we establish a maximum grant request amount for $10,000 per organization. What do you, I, would you just clarify what you're trying to get? I don't, I like, what's the. Oh, I, I that... just, I was trying to be more specific. Oh, oh sure. I see. <laughs> Commissioner Yanez is, I was just trying to be more specific and just say, make the motion that we establish a maximum request amount of $10,000 per Applicant. organization, per organization requesting funds. And I only say, organization requesting funds versus applicant because I want to be sure we only get one application from it per organization. So I think we should talk about it as a maximum for an organization versus a maximum for an application. Sure. The only question, well, the question that raised that for me was like ACC services does the Meals on Meals program and the transportation. Yeah, and uh, eight, well, I don't remember what the other one is. Um, so do you think, I just want to make sure we don't, I mean, I don't particularly care, but. <laughs> well, we, Wheels on Wheels and ACC are, again, they're, they're even though they're sister chair, they're completely separate. Sure. And so they do different things. Okay. And Mike, did you have your hands raised? Yeah, I did. Um, you may want you may want to consider 
including language that says what the maximum grant amount will be as well. Um, just to be very clear, um, you're, I, I think capping the request amount probably does the job, but it would be clearer to say what the maximum grant amount will be as well. Oh. But given our funding matrix where the top performers get 100% of what they asked for, then don't we have a de facto maximum amount? You do. I mean, you can you could connect the dots, but it would just, it would be clearer and you could accomplish that with one sentence, but it's up to you. Um, you don't legally have to do that. It just could add some clarity to it. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, I think it might make sense. So what if we said um, the maximum grant is 10,000? Yeah. Well, but we um, also want, we don't want them asking for more than 10,000. Yeah, I would say um, maybe um, the maximum request per organization is $10,000 and organizations will not receive beyond that. more funds than they request. Mark, how would you write that one sentence? I, I, I would just say the maximum grant amount is, if you're saying $10,000, $10,000. And and one more thing to think about, um, I mean, just practically speaking, if we say that the maximum grant amount is $10,000, is there a problem with somebody asking for 15 if the maximum they're going to get and the maximum they know they're going to get is 10? No. I think our whole point was that because we might give somebody 50% of what they asked for, that if somebody asked for 20,000, they would get 10,000 at the 50%. And we wanted to cap what they could ask for. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So it will still be then, um, the motion will be the maximum grant amount is $10,000. Except that doesn't address Mike's concern that we needed to say how much, both how much they could ask for and what the maximum amount they would get, right? Well, here I'm I'm stating now that it's the maximum anybody can get, anyone, is $10,000. Right. That doesn't address what Talbot, the point, the excellent point Talbot just made, that if they ask for 20,000 and they're in the 50% category, we could still award them 10,000 at that level. And we don't want to do that. You you could, you can wordsmith this a little bit, but you could say something along the lines that no applicant may request more than $10,000 and the city will not award a grant that exceeds $10,000 or something like that. Uh-huh. I mean, I would just say, keep it as simple as that. I mean, that's yep. pretty clear. Yep. Right. No applicant can request more than 
10,000 and no grant will be granted more than 10,000, right? Yeah, I, I think that gets the job done. Okay. Janelle, did you have your hand raised? Uh, so sorry, just wanted to clarify that these are, this is not a legal document. These are just the grant guidelines. Uh, it would be sufficient and, um, you know, equitable to what you would see in other grant uh, guidelines and applications just to set a max award amount for 10,000 and a statement that um, applicants may not request more than 10,000. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the funds available block, we would say the maximum award that can be granted is $10,000 and applicants may only request up to $10,000. Yes. And then do we want to delete the last sentence? Last year's average award was $7,000. Yes. I don't, I don't think it hurts to tell people what the, uh, what the, average award was the prior year I don't know I don't think it hurts anything to have it there yeah I was just thinking I think the reason we had it in to begin with was to sort of set expectations for how much people should be requesting but if we're setting a cap of ten thousand dollars um and people understand that there's a grant matrix then they should be able to sort of extrapolate what awards might be yeah right I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay, so. So the motion stands that the maximum award amount is 10,000 and no applicant can request beyond 10,000. Mm -hmm. And delete the sentence, last year's average award was $7,000. I would say more than 10,000 instead of beyond 10,000. Okay, I like that. Madam Clerk, do you have all of that down? Do you need us to repeat the motion? Or are you good? I defer to Janelle if she has everything that she needs. Um, I have captured that on my end. And of course, this um, recording will be available post-meeting for reference. So on my end, uh, the, the request for a motion is to approve the grant guidelines as a whole. This is, I, I don't believe we've covered the entire document yet. Uh, yeah, I think I, I have some other things that I wanted to address, but I think if we can just get through the motion and approval of this change, okay. then we can move on. I to think what others. she's saying is we, we don't, we wouldn't do a separate motion for this. We would, we would all just sort of voice agree that that's what we think we want it to be. And then at the end, we would approve the entire document. Okay. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, actually, uh, thank you very much. Um, that uh, this would this would be kind of under uh, directions to staff, but uh, review and approval of the document as a whole, uh, once all the recommendations are made, would be the motion. Oh, gotcha. Thank you for clarifying. Okay. Um, so uh, the next item I wanted to just raise, I think it would be really helpful for our applicants if they could see the evaluation matrix when they were submitting their out their applications. Um, so uh, I know they're tied to the questions and we don't have the questions down yet. So we don't have that evaluation matrix done yet, but I would 
like it if we could add maybe like in the section on like other important notes, um, just add a link to the evaluation matrix so that the applicants are aware of the scoring that we're using in evaluating their applications. I would agree. Anyone else have thoughts on that? Uh, no problem. The more they're educated and, and, and know where we're looking for, the better I think the um, summaries will be. All right. Um, any other commissioner comments or questions or edits to the grant guidelines? So back up in the funds available, um, Janelle, you would fill in the total amount available and then what did we award last year? Like it was 160. No, I know, but the the number it was over 20. So you may want to change the awards between and base it maybe on the last five or six years, because we had years where it was like 12 people. And now we're we're consistently like 18 to 20 five or something so we may want to update that average based on us having higher numbers of grants over the last couple of years i think you have it highlighted to update so uh -huh. this is janelle so uh this language has just sort of been brought forth year to year um as as was discussed previously, the commission is welcome to change what is described um, in this box. I think it was just general information. Um, for the commission's information, we dispersed 159,000 um, and change. Uh, last year, we had 26 approved applicant agencies, although there were, I believe, 32 applicants total. Uh, for last year, and the average award for last year was uh, six, just over six thousand. Yeah, so um, I just think we need to update update the number of awards, and we already talked about taking off the average award. So you do want to keep the first paragraph or do you just want to remove that information altogether and replace it with the maximum request and award? No, I think we only talked about replacing the last two sentences with the sentences that were described in what we initially thought was a motion. Yeah, I think the first paragraph is helpful for folks just to set expectations. Okay. Would you like it to reflect the information from last year or do you want it to reflect an average? And if so, how many years average do you want it to reflect? I have information going back to 2010. Maybe just the last five. Is there consensus among the commissioners that I think five other yes. Yes. for the yes. Okay. 
you could say on average over the last five years, the commission has awarded between blank and blank grants annually. Thank you. I, um, while I'm on the line, I just also wanted to provide the information that uh, the dates uh, that are typically given for the application availability and deadline. Um, if we were to choose equitable dates for this year, it would be Friday, August 26th through Friday, September 30th. And the funding meeting is on November 16th. Thanks, Janelle. That sounds good. And the, any missing documents, what would that date be? Like, a, would it still be October 15th, 16th, something like that? Uh, it would be Friday, October 14th. 14th, okay. Any other comments or edits to the grant guidelines? I thought last year's process went pretty well in terms of getting the information we needed. Yes, I was relieved not to have to argue about whether or not we accept incomplete grants <laughs> or people who didn't follow the rules. Yeah. All right, um, so I think we are now, we have a motion and a second on the floor. I assume that those motions and second were friendly amended by Janelle to be to approve the grant process as discussed on this call. <laughs> Thank you. Very don't much. we, Janelle? Don't we need to look at the grant application form and everything all at once? Well, I had assumed that that was what we were. The whole thing was what we were talking about. Right, but we haven't talked about the grant application form yet. So yeah. Sorry, Madam Clerk, if you wouldn't mind scrolling down, oh, um, down. one, two more, two more pages. Sorry, one more page. There, thank you. Uh, this is the first page of the grant application, and the questions continue on to the next page. Uh huh. Um, as a as a general um, just general context in my outreach and correspondence with the various awarded applicant agencies, as well as um, the ones who did not complete the process and attend the November meeting, uh, did comment that they appreciated the clarity of the instructions and the guidance that was provided um, of the applicants that were awarded. Several did comment directly to me that they appreciated the new process. Oh, good. Great. Thank you, Janelle. That's good to hear. Any comments or edits to the application? Oh. Members, please advise if you'd like me to scroll down to the second page. I'm okay. I have it on my screen, but yeah, if anyone said, needs it, let me know. I'm okay as is the rest of it. I, I have a question about on page 11, the number of clients served, because that number is so all over the place in, in the responses. Um, we get like from some people, we get 
well, this allows it to serve 20 extra people. And for other organizations, it's like this goes into a pot of money that serves 3,000 people. And so in my recollection from going back and, and reading through all of the responses, question nine provided almost no useful information in my analysis of the, the people who are asking for money. I had the opposite. I actually put the number on the application as to how many people they serve because I want more money to go to more book, you know, book for your money. So the more they serve, the better. Yeah, so I understand. my guideline. Yeah, I understand your concern because um, the, the organizations don't seem to answer the question that we asked, but I, I frankly don't know how we could state it more clearly because we tried to explain like how many clients will be served by these funds divided by how many clients total you serve. Like we were trying to be really specific to get at that number. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure what the fix is. Oh, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't either. I don't have an idea of how to fix it. It just was a source of frustration because I felt like they didn't understand the instructions or didn't follow the instructions, which made it less useful as an evaluation. I didn't keep track of how many people they said it was served, but when you get $5,000 and you're, you're serving 5,000 people versus you get $5,000 and you're serving 40 people, then it, the number doesn't seem to be meaningful in the evaluation process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, just as background, the way that I tried to use that answer, like, because I had the same problem as you, um, you know, if the organization put a number that I thought was probably not correct in terms of how many dollars are, you know, money was actually going to go to, I sort of took that piece of information with a grain of salt and tried to look at the other questions about, you know, leveraging funding and getting additional um, like match dollars or, or partnering with other programs to like balance that out. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to fix that. But it, is one of, it is one of the things we are asked to evaluate on a zero to nine. And how do you assign a number when you know some of them are way out of whack? Yeah, Commissioner well, I think that was right, and I was going to comment on that. That I, I remember specifically um, one of the organizations that the number just didn't match. But that's why we have the opportunity to ask questions, and I know that we would like it to be as clear as day. It's just unfortunately not going to be, um, and that's why we have that opportunity to to ask questions. But I agree because on on. I looked at that number and based on that, I gave them a score and that I have to, I believe was probably the one that I changed the most during the time when we were able to make changes. Yeah. And some organizations did um, clarify when we did ask them the question, like how many, are, how many people are you actually serving with this money? So uh -huh. um, Janelle, did you have your hand up? Thank you. Uh, so I believe that the, one of the reasons why uh, this question was, uh, deemed pertinent um, in the overall um, reconfiguration of the 
standardization of this process was that it was meant to be taken in context with the narrative of the scope and deliverables of the services to be provided, as well as the budget. So that if, as mentioned, they're asking for $5,000, but they're saying they're serving 10,000 people, uh, then the, that taken into context with the narrative of what they're saying they're spending the money on, as well as the budget, gives you an idea of how they will be spending the money and how that actually relates in terms of outcomes and impact on the people that they're serving versus someone who is saying the same amount of money, $5,000, but they're serving 40 people based on the type of program services that they're providing and based on their budget, what that money is being spent on, uh -huh. as well as in a follow-up during their semi-annual reports, when they report on how many people served with the funds used, uh, provides a baseline for that report. Thanks, Janelle. Um, any other comments, questions, or edits to the application? I was just trying to, I was hoping they have some somebody come up with some brilliant idea of how to make number nine more more useful, but I think we're going to have to just take it, like Janelle said, in as part of the big picture. Mm -hmm. And Janelle can also share with with the applicants, you know, because she speaks to all of them, that um, number nine is something that the commissioner really look they really look at, and just leave it at that. <laughs> Any other comments? I don't, yeah, I don't have a brilliant idea to, to fix it. I think just looking at it in context and hoping for the best clarifying questions at the November meeting. All right, I don't see any other comments or questions. So I um, have a motion from Commissioner Yanez and a second from Commissioner Smith on approving the um, application, the grant guidelines and uh -huh. the grant application as discussed by the commission. Um, Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll for a vote? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Corbs. Aye. Commissioner Smith. Aye. Commissioner Yenes. Aye. Secretary McIntosh. Aye. Vice President Zamanudin is absent and President Leary. Aye. Thank you, motion passes. Thank you. So the next item on the agenda is the um, selection of the president, vice president, and secretary for the Ann Land Brett National Memorial Funds Commission for the calendar year of 2022. Um, is there a staff presenter? Yes, thank you. I can give you a very brief introduction. I'm, I know we're getting late this evening. Uh, so the item before you is the selection of president, vice president, and secretary. So as stated in your staff report, the president presides over all meetings and ensures that the work of the commission is accomplished. To this end, the chair must exert sufficient control of the meeting to eliminate irrelevant, repetitious, or otherwise unproductive discussion. The role is to basically ensure that all voices are heard uh, from appointees and members to members of the public. It is recommended that these roles rotate um, annually to create opportunity for diverse voices to serve in the capacity um, of president, vice president, secretary, um, and this is consistent with council rules of procedure and process and that the vice mayor and the mayor pro tem um, do rotate annually. 
So what we can do is if there is a commissioner who is interested in serving, it's appropriate to express your interest. If there's more than one commissioner who is interested in serving, the chair, I'm sorry, the president can ask members to state their qualifications and express their interest. And then after that, it would be appropriate for someone to make a motion recommending someone. So we will start with the president and go down the line. Thank you. Is anybody interested in serving as president this year? I'd, I'd be interested in having you serve again, Allison, because I think you're a very effective leader for this group. I was just going to say the same. Thank you for seeing that. I appreciate that. Um, just so you guys know, this is my last year on the commission. So I was wondering if somebody wanted to like take the role so that I, when I leave, somebody else has had the experience and, and institutional knowledge to move forward. But if nobody is interested in serving, I can continue to do it. When do you go off, Allison? Um, I think my term ends uh, after the November meeting. It, your term might end, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to go for another six years, right? Oh, <laughs> it, it does mean that. <laughs> I, I really sure? enjoy my time on this question, but. <laughs> Thank you. We do have a motion by um, Commissioner Smith and a second by Commissioner Corbs for um, President Leary to continue in her role in 2022. And mm -hmm. I will proceed with the roll call vote. Commissioner Corbs? Yes, aye. Commissioner Smith. Aye. Commissioner Yenes. Aye. Secretary McIntosh. Aye. Vice President Zamanudin is absent and President Leary. Aye. <laughs> Thank you. And All right. not that it affects right now, but these um, positions would take effect at the next meeting, but that does not apply. So we will move on to the Vice President next. I'm game to throw my hat in for that because I, I was secretary last year. It kind of feels like it's my time. Well, good. Then I nominate Lori. And I second that. Thank you. Thank you very much. We have a motion by Commissioner Yenes and a second by Commissioner Corbs for Secretary McIntosh to be vice president in calendar year 2022. I will proceed with the vote. Commissioner Corbs. Aye. Commissioner Smith. Aye. Commissioner Yenes. Aye. Secretary McIntosh. Vice President Zamanudin is absent and President Leary. Aye. Thank you, that motion passed. And lastly, that brings us to the role of secretary. I have a question about this role. Lori, do you actually like take the minutes or do you like approve what Janelle sends you, or I, I've never been clear on what the secretary does. It's gotten easier and easier and easier over the years. And so what I do is I take notes um, and when they send me the minutes, their draft minutes, I just refer back to my notes to see if, the, if you know, everything jibes and then I just sign it. It's really pretty darn easy. Under those circumstances, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, willing to throw my hat in the ring to be the secretary of the commission. Yay! I'll second that. All right, so we do have a motion by Commissioner Smith and a second by President Leary. 
for Commissioner Smith as secretary in calendar year 2022. I'll proceed with the vote. Commissioner Forbes? Aye. Commissioner Smith? Aye. Commissioner Yenes? Aye. Secretary McIntosh? Aye. Vice President Zamanudin is absent and President Larry? Aye. Thank you, that motion passes and thank you all, congratulations. I think it's important that, that Yusuf knows that this was not a penalty for him not being at the meeting that he didn't <laughs> get reelected vice president. We'll let him know in May. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the uh, next item on our agenda are uh, commissioner comments slash ideas or questions. Any commissioners wishing to speak on this item? I have a question about given new COVID protocols, um, will we be encouraged, expected to do our site visits in person this year or do you want, should they still be electronic or phone calls basically? Um, and then also, Will our meetings continue for the entire year electronically, or is there a view by the city of perhaps moving back to in-person meetings? Um, sure. Well, with respect to the site visits, I think that's the president's prerogative. At least that's how we have handled it the last two years. And I um, am comfortable saying if you guys want to do it in person, do it in person. And if you want to do it virtually, do it virtually um, hard to predict what the summer will look like obviously so <laughs> i am fine i think doing it whichever way you you and the organization feel comfortable with is good with me i know some of the organizations that i visited last year didn't um want me to come in person so um i would say just do what you feel comfortable with and what the organization feels comfortable with on that and then with respect to what the city is doing in terms of commission meetings maybe janelle or uh, mike can speak to that i know Right now we're meeting virtually under AB 361 and I don't know if the city has plans to change that or not. This is Janelle. Uh, for the time being, um, as far as I know, the, the commission meetings are all still virtual until further notice. Uh, should that change, I will definitely let the commissioners know as soon as possible. Thank you. Any other commissioner comments or questions or ideas? Commissioner Yanis? Yes, I just wanted to share something with all with all of you. Um, I, my other hat is um, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm a just surf representative specialist and I, my concentration is the city of Sacramento and another one is Rancho Cordova because that handles the, the church's um, region. And this year, um, they had uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Distribution Center in Utah had a lot of um, food. And so they asked, they asked Sacramento area if they had any 501c organizations that will, um, that needs food. That's all they had to, all they had to do is qualify was be 501c charitable organization. Well, I I'm happy to share that we gave, um, 17 charity organizations here in Sacramento, um, um, one pallet, one pallet equals about 32 boxes of food. 
and whatever they gave us, they gave us a list the night before. We distributed to um, the charitable organizations. Some of them are Ann Lamb, Bertha Henschel organizations. Um, and they received food and they used it immediately the next day. And it was kind of nice and rewarding to know that the food was going to be expiring in six months and they didn't want to trash it and they want or other organizations that they can use it right away. And it was, and it was used here in Sacramento and Rancho Cordova. And they did something with Lodi. So, and they're talking about doing another, it was two, two truckloads. So we're talking about huge rigs coming over here. And the Midtown Church um, happens to um, advocate a lot of service projects and, and, and giving um, meals out to the, to the needy. So they got one whole truck just by themselves. And then some of our organizations and others got the one pallet each. Great. And there, if there was more, and they can decide what they wanted. You know, like some people wanted pancake mix, some people wanted the peanut butter, you know, that kind of thing. But it was to their own individual need of what food they wanted. And it was distributed here. So it was very rewarding to do that. Good, I'm glad to hear. Thanks so much, Wanda. Uh-huh. Any other commissioner comments or questions? All right. Well, this concludes today's agenda. So thank you also for participating. Um, I know it was a really, really long meeting, but it's adjourned and we will see you all back in May. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, Allison, for thank keeping us you. in line. And congratulations to everybody on their new, <laughs> new jobs. New jobs. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Bye.